got a great sound to play in Angus. Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. Welcome to Crunch and Roll. It's a podcast about the side of the radio industry that most people never hear about, featuring some of its most interesting characters. My name is John Fox, known to some as Foxy, and um, what qualifies me to present Crunch and Roll? Well, I worked my way through hospital radio, presented commercial radio breakfast shows in some of England's biggest cities, and even dabbled in the BBC. Today's guest is one of those rare breed of presenters that have managed to stay at these same couple of stations for their entire career. That longevity makes them legends in their areas, and today's guest, Nigel Freshman, known as Fresh, is no exception. And after decades working at Beacon in the West Midlands, he can't even walk down Bilston High Street without getting mobbed. He's now approaching a decade at the current station too, so I try and find out his secret of not getting sacked, his role in one of the most cited cases in media law training, and discover what caused me to say this. Nope, I've never felt so awkward talking about something with anyone. (laughs) Before we start, just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy the podcast and you are a regular listener, we would be eternally grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. Just go to ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. And thanks to everybody, genuinely, thank you so much to everybody who supported us recently, including the lovely people at aircheckdownloads.com. And um, if you've never checked out the site before, firstly, you're officially not a real anorak. And secondly, you're missing out on what is probably the biggest archive of UK presenter audio and jingles from the 80s right through to today. And you can even hear my last ever link on the radio there as well, where I might have had something in my eye. Anyway, there's plenty of strong language, a bit of adult content in this episode, so let's crunch and roll. Oh, yeah. Fresh, how are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm really good. Really good. It's um, it's lovely to see your face. It's been years. I would say it's lovely to see your face, but you're sat in the dark with well, some kind of. It looks like you've got candles lighting your bonds. Well, you you're you're the first guest to highlight the fact that because I'm a proper Yorkshireman, I'm too tight to leave the lights on. So what I do <laughs> is I turn all the lights off because I'm thinking this this my my octopus is going to be going through the roof if I turn any more lights. Oh, on. isn't isn't there an energy saving session tonight? Or was that last night? I I don't know. I can't keep track. I can't can't keep track. Well, well, call you, yourself a Yorkshireman? Oh, you should be straight on that. Turn you know, off, interestingly, please. can I just say um, before we hit record, you said to me. I don't know what you're going to find out about me because I'm not that interesting. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you mean that? Yeah, gen- absolutely genuinely. I, don't, I never what? think I've got anything of interest to say. But, but rightly so, you also said that for 30 years you've been talking on the radio, so you've obviously got something to say. Well, I must have, but I, I I've never known what it is. I mean, it's third, third, actually, it'll be 34 years in wow. April. 34 years next April. Um, since I started. And I, I blagged my way in to my first job because um, when I was a kid, I just wanted to be on the radio. And I, I never knew why. I just thought it was a cool thing. And, you know, I used to sit in my bedroom. I think I think everybody that's ended up on the radio has always sat in their bedroom playing with jingles that they've recorded off the radio, pretending that they're on. And that's, so I used to do that as a kid. And then I just um, hounded my way in. And I was only 18, Handed my way into my first gig. 
So what's interesting to me is that I mean we'll get onto this in a bit, but you and I met when and I don't you can you can get onto this later on if you would like, but I don't think our feelings of Orion Media are the same. Uh, but we met when I was at BRMB, you were at Beacon, and mm. um, you were very quiet in the in the group meetings, and I think I was fairly quiet as well. And then you and I, I, I always say to people that you and I got on, like we 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 got on. Yeah. Would you Would you agree? You've gone quiet. Um, well, you said I feel. Well, I, I suppose I want to just check. Really, what are we allowed to say, and what aren't we allowed to say on a podcast? Is it this, do we have the same kind of regulations as? So we're on air. Are we are we at risk of defaming or libeling yeah. people? All that, yeah. But what we what we do is we get all our episodes legally checked before they go out because I don't legally want to checked by who? Well, just An by actual, my mate Gary, a <laughs> <laughs> bloke. Yeah. Oh, Dave, have a listen to this. Is that all right? What do you reckon? Yeah, be fine. <laughs> to be fair, that, that that's always been my measure. <laughs> it certainly was back in the day before everything got a little bit, you know, compliancy. Like, yeah, well, what's the what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Somebody will complain if it's bad enough. <laughs> well, let's go right back to the start. I don't because I, I, what I was trying to get onto was the fact that you and I met, and I don't actually know anything about you um, apart from the fact that you've been on the wireless. Um, where are you from originally? Um, Birmingham. Originally. Oh, are you? Yeah. So I think you can trace my family back through Birmingham history. Not that I've ever done that. So I don't know whether they've got any kind of Peaky Blinders heritage or anything, but that's where that's where all my parents were from. All my parents, both of them. Um, and then they moved out of Birmingham when I was about two or three, I think. They came over to Telford because it was an exciting new town. And everybody from Birmingham and Wolverhampton came over here oh sorry that's an email I don't know how to turn that off so sorry you might have to put up with that noise <laughs> randomly appearing let's, let's see how popular you are over the next hour not very it's, it's, One all, email. it's all octopus and spam probably <laughs> so yeah so um, I left Birmingham when I was about two but that's where I'm from originally alright so sorry, was, that, was that the question you asked me yeah, no, I, I just generally didn't know where you were from. And I'm, do you know what? I, I, I'm quite surprised that you said Birmingham. I don't know why, but I just never knew that you were a Brummie. Because I don't have a Brummie accent. Probably, That's, yeah. Probably. Um, and at the risk of offending all Brummies, uh, I don't love the sound of my own voice and think I'm hilarious. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Gary, can you check that bit? Uh, <laughs> all right, so, um, do you know, I mean, uh, I think back to when I was at school, I always wanted to be a zookeeper. So when you were at school, you wanted to be on the radio. You knew from a very early age. Always wanted to be on the radio. But like I say, I, I don't really know why. I don't know what it was about radio that just enchanted me. But something did and I knew that's what I always wanted to do and, and um, yeah so just fixed my mind on it I mean I left school when I was 16 and I did a YTS for a bit at Rumbelows the electrical yeah. store yeah yeah um, which was a good gig actually because even though you only got so this is in the 80s I think you got 27 quid a week or something kind of YTS but Rumbelows on their YTS you actually got commission so <laughs> and you got the same commission as the like employees um, so back then, as a 16-year-old on a YTS on 27 quid a week, if you told, sold a TV, you'd get 10 quid commission. 
Wow. So I know. So and, and actually, I th- no, I think it was if that's if it was a discontinued model, you got they 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 stuck ten quid commission on it. So if you somebody came in for a TV and video, I would always point them out to the discontinued <laughs> ones. So hey, what about this TV and this video? They're great. And then if they bought them, that's twenty quid commission you got because they were both discontinued. And then if you flogged them the extra insurance, I think you got an extra seven pound fifty. So if I just did one extra one sale in a week of a TV and video with extra warranty, I doubled my wages. So <laughs> it's pretty good going. <laughs> that was a, it was a really good gig for a sixteen year old. But um, I left there and went to work somewhere else. I think I went to work for the MOD. I went to work at uh, an MOD place just as an admin person. Is it is it true? I've got Rumbelows on my research. Um, I haven't got the MOD, but I have got that you used to be a driving instructor. Oh no, I've only just I've trained to be a driving instructor recently. Really? Yeah. So um, when did I start doing that? I think I think after the last round of Dreg, which is twenty nineteen. Yeah. I thought, hey, up writing's on the wall here. So and I thought, shit, I don't have a trade. I've got yeah. no, I've got nothing to fall back on. So I thought, I better, I ought to. I've kind of winged my way through this for a, quite a long time, so I thought I ought to come up with some kind of backup plan. So I trained to be a driving instructor, um, and then I qualified. When did I qualify? Twenty twenty one, right? Like that. Yeah, that's that's there. That's ready so to that's, go. So I am. I've, yeah, and I've, I was actually teaching people. You know, real. You know, bona fide people. <laughs> giving them driving lessons. Felt like a right... I had imposter syndrome the entire time. I was like, why, why have they let me do this? <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know, I was... Because we, we, we discussed this, myself and Simon, who produces the pod, about you being a driving instructor. And we hadn't got that you'd done it recently, but... Um, it made me think back to the guy that taught me. It was a guy called Pete Tyler, who I actually knew from hospital radio. And... Um, I was just wondering if you'd do the same thing. And I think all radio presenters do it. If you're sat in the car and you're listening to the wireless, we're different to everybody else on the planet because what we do is we turn the radio up when someone's doing a link as opposed yeah. to when the music's... <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah, turn the music down. Oh my God, shush. I, it's, I'm really rude when there's people in the car with me because I'll just go... Chip, 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 chip. When, the, when whoever's on is doing a link because I just want to listen to what they do and how they do it. it. must be really frustrating for anybody that's in the car with you. Just while we're on the subject of cars, I don't know if you annoy your your family, but what I do is I always hit the link when I'm when I'm listening to a song. You know, I'm like if they put a CD on or something, I talk up to the vocals. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that just comes with the territory. You can't help yeah. yourself. Everybody <laughs> likes to do a bit of jocking. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you go from Rumbelows, you go to the MOD. I, I want to know how you move into radio. So you, you mentioned before that you blagged your way in. Yeah, literally blagged my way in. By the way, I, I suppose I ought to throw out this as a disclaimer as well. I've also got ADHD, I found out this year. Really? So, yeah. So I, I got diagnosed with that about three or four months ago. So if that's probably what... So I, this is going to... I'm, I'm glad I don't have to edit this because if I flit around randomly, um, that's why. Because it, it, it just that's the way it goes when you've got ADHD. Can, can I just? Can we just focus on that? Do you mind if we talk about it? That's. <laughs> do you mind if we just focus on that? Great words for somebody with ADHD. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, but you know, unfortunately, <laughs> it's quite difficult. Well, so so what made you go and get diagnosed or, or get tested for it? Um, I've, over the years, I've always thought um, there was something that I'm dealing with in terms of some kind of I don't know 
my head, basically. I think everybody, yeah. and I think everybody feels, especially these days, but, you know, go back 20, 30 years, mental health wasn't talked about in the same way as it is now. Yeah. So I always wondered, am I, you know, is there something going on? I thought maybe I'm bipolar or, you know, something. Uh, but none of those symptoms seem to fit. But anyway, this year, somebody I know got diagnosed with ADHD and they were trying to explain it to me. And I was like, oh, that just sounds, I think everybody has that, don't they? Well, kind of really flippantly just going, oh, because I, I was just obviously only using my own experience, but it sounded like everything that goes on with, in my head. And they were like, no, no, I don't think you understand. So then they sent me this article on it. And reading down it, I was like, God, somebody's written about me. So from that, I got myself referred for an assessment. And you have to go through lots of kind of tests and speak to a, you know, consultant psychiatrist and all sorts of things questionnaire it's quite ironic there's a lot of paperwork and I was like you know this is somebody who can't focus on paperwork why are you giving me all this but yeah you go through all that and then at the end of it they'll either go yay or nay you have to go through everything from childhood because obviously ADHD isn't something you develop you've either got it from birth or you don't yeah so yeah so it was really enlightening to find out that that's what it is because now I can kind of figure out how I work and why I am the way I am. So it makes you, it makes you blurt things because your brain is obviously constantly thinking about a million and one things. It makes you quite forgetful. You tend to blurt things out without thinking. So I, I, you know, over the years, I think I have been very blunt and direct with lots of people, and not really. So you don't have much self awareness either because you you kind of blurt stuff out. You don't think about it because your brain's already like a mile down the road from what you've said. Yeah. That you net, so I think I came across with a lot of people as very kind of blunt, direct, aggressive, whatever. But actually, I, there was no kind of ill intent meant. It was just the way your brain is. You, you just tend to blurt things and sometimes really inappropriate things because you don't, you don't, you're just not thinking about it because your brain's like three steps ahead. You know, it's interesting because I was talking to someone recently who was like yourself, diagnosed with ADHD uh, later on in life, and um, she was saying that it, 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 when you get diagnosed, you, you think back and you go, "Shit, that's why I was like I was then." Yeah, or, that's oh, why God, that situation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So for I think I got diagnosed about three, or four, about four months ago. So, so every day since you'll go, "Oh my God." That explains this. And, and then also you'll go, oh, shit. That, I must have said that to somebody in a really, you know, in the wrong way. Or no yeah. wonder that person thought I was a twat, um, you know. <laughs> so all sorts of things come back to you. But, yeah, it is really enlightening just to find out how your brain is wired and to try and then learn to, to live with it. Well, let's get on to, to radio then, because you mentioned before that you, you blagged your way in. So you, you dreamt of doing it at school. Yep. You go to Rumbelow's, MOD, and then how did you blag your way in? So I used to have the radio on at work. We, we loved, I, th- I worked in a tool hire company at this point. Right, okay. <laughs> and we, we had the radio on all day, and it wasn't the busiest place. So we would ring in, and because we used to listen to Beacon. Back in the day, I used to do request shows and I used to do loads of competitions. Um, so we'd ring in and try and get on air. And I was always doing like different voices and impressions and things like that. So generally, because we were up for a laugh, we used to get on quite a lot. So that was quite fun. So I got to know some of the guys that were on air and then got confident enough to go, oh, I, I, you know, I want to do this. Um, how do I do it? And they would go, oh, you need to do a demo. So then I'd be asking them for advice on, okay, well, what's a demo? What do I need to do? And they'd just give me some tips and whatever. So I did something in my living room at home on a cassette and then took it into the radio station. 
And then I think I kept ringing up every day. And the receptionist there at the time, <laughs> well, she was like most receptionists. Let's just put it that way. Particularly doctors' receptionists. I think you get the type. Yeah, I won't, yeah, men- yeah. won't mention any names. Yeah. Um, she hated me. Because, <laughs> because, because I would ring every day and say, because uh, Pete Wagstaff is probably a name that you'll know. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was the program director at the time. So I was like, has Pete listened to my tape yet? Has Pete listened to my tape yet? And she'd like, she was just get really arsy and go, no, he has not. He's a busy man. Please stop <laughs> ringing. Which I took no notice of and carried on ringing. And eventually he called me up. Um, and then in, to my surprise, he was like, I really liked your demo. I want you to come into the radio station and record one here. And I was like, fucking hell, this is like all my dreams come true. So I used to go in, like, in the evenings after work. And I remember turning up the first time and he put me in the studio. And he literally was like, okay, here's some cart machines. Here's some stuff to play around with. I'm going to put a reel of tape on here. Just leave that rolling. When you're done, rewind it, put it on my desk. Any questions? And I was like, yeah, how do you work everything else? And, he, and, and obviously I walked in with nothing. He was like, oh, brought nothing in with you, mate. That's brave. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I've screwed this up already. But, yeah, I just kept going in. And then he'd ring me back after I'd uh, done a demo and tell me what he didn't like about it and what I needed to work on. So, and then um, eventually, it wasn't very, it wasn't after long, I got a, a weekend overnight show. Because obviously, radio then was 24 hours a day <laughs> locally. Yeah. Great times, yeah. So I think I did a... F- Saturday into Sunday, 1 a.m. till 6 a.m., um, which was an interesting experience because there's a a very definite audience, <laughs> a very specialised audience yeah, between yeah. the hours of 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. Um, and then what else did I... I think I used to do travel reports. I started doing travel reports. So I'd go out in the morning during the week and do travel reports. So I just drive around Telford and every 20 minutes ring in to the breakfast show, give them travel updates. Uh, oh, and in the afternoons, actually. So I did that for a bit. And then I badgered him to put me on if anybody was on holiday, which I did. So I'd only been there about nine months, I think. And then the breakfast guy who was on, because Beacon, had, there was two stations with Beacon. There was the West Midlands service, and they had the Shropshire license as well. And the guy who was doing breakfast on West Mids went on holiday for a week. And bear in mind, I was 19. I was like, oh, put me on, put me on. So they put me on, put me on breakfast for a week. So, I mean, that was brave of them. Yeah. So I did a week on breakfast. And then the end of the week, uh, I went into the jocks room. God, there's a phrase you don't hear anymore. So, yeah, everybody had a little pigeonhole on the wall. And in the pigeonhole was this bottle of whiskey, and it was from the MD, and it had a little note on it just said, great week on breakfast. So, for me, that was the green light. So, I just stormed into Pete's office with my bottle of whiskey and went, oh, if it was that great, put me on full time. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, back in your box. You're not ready for that yet. And I stood and argued the toss with him and convinced him and in the end he went all right then so, so they gave me breakfast no. <laughs> <laughs> which at the time i thought was brilliant but obviously for the guy who'd been on holiday <laughs> not so good um yeah but i again i never really thought 
Well, I didn't. I didn't think about how it was going to affect him at all. Um, I just just bombarded. I careered my way through like a you know out of control runaway train. Do you know the one thing I've learned fresh from talking to so many people over the three series that we've done of Crunch and Roll? How m- much confidence people had. Like, for example, we had Elliot Webb on um, recently who talked about his confidence. I'm just using him as one of many examples. I mean, how did you all have that? Because I didn't have that confidence. Um, I think it was the fact that I was so young. 18, 19, you've got no self-awareness of that age. And clearly I had ADHD, which I didn't know about. Um, So you would just, yeah, you just become, you you are very impulsive with ADHD. You You just don't think about stuff. So it was probably a mixture of being a cocky 18-year-old, ADHD, and the fact that I'd got a little bit of recognition, for me, it was almost like, well, in that case then, whoa. Now, just a couple of things I want to pick up on, because, of course, you know, getting the breakfast show is is incredible. But just just going back, is it true that you smashed up a Jeep whilst you were the travel guy? Because you mentioned that you did a little bit of the travel updates. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? It is true. How did you find this out? Oh, Nigel. Oh, don't. Do not call me <laughs> Nigel. Um, yes, so, and the st- uh, that was slightly embarrassing because, again, I got this, I got into, I blanked my way into the radio station. So when I was, I was still doing travel updates. And I, so I'd not been, I hadn't been there very long. Um, but clearly I thought, oh, fucking hell, I've got to, I'd have to, because I, I lived in Telford and I had to go to Wolverhampton to pick the Jeep up and then drive back over to Telford and I think the first travel report we had to do was just after the seven o'clock news so I'd have to leave Telford quite early to get to Wolverhampton and then back to Telford for seven but generally I used to think fuck all going on at seven o'clock in the morning so what I'll do is I'll just pick the jeep up do a couple of travel reports while I'm driving back to Telford (laughs) get there get there for about quarter to eight nobody will know however (laughs) on that fateful day I was halfway between Wolverhampton and Telford and some guy came careering across the road right into me wrote the jeep off oh my god and I remember ringing in to the newsroom and <laughs> the news editor at the time, I was like, oh, I've had a really bad accident. I think the Jeep's a write-off. And he didn't say, are you all right or anything? He was like, oh, what a great news story. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> it's like, but he was more interested in the news angle than whether or not I was okay. But I suppose it serves myself right because I should have been in Telford, you know, 45 minutes earlier. <laughs> We're having a party. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about doing breakfast because at such a young age, I mean, we're going back to 1990 here. To take over breakfast so, you know, so early on in your career and at such a young age, I'm just thinking to myself, I mean, did you feel any pressure? Because, I mean, the breakfast show at that time, I'm guessing the listeners would have been huge as opposed to, to some breakfast shows now. I mean... Your shoulders, were they strong? I mean, how did it feel? Didn't even think about that. Didn't even think about it. No. Um, The thing is, I I never wanted to be someone, if if that makes sense. I wanted to be on the radio, but I just wanted to be on the radio. I was never chasing fame. So I wasn't bothered about actually being a radio star or, you know, getting any recognition. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking... God, this is great. I get to be on the radio. And that's about as far as I thought. And I had no radio experience. I had no life experience. 
Um, and I suppose part that partly was a good thing because I didn't have any radio baggage. So, you know, I was completely raw and certainly very raw. I had no idea how to put a radio show together, no idea what made good content. I didn't have... It's not like I had like lots of radio idols that I wanted to emulate or be like. Um, so I used to... I used to use a lot of American prep stuff. There's a thing called, I think it was called O-Liners. It was a Dan O'Day thing. In fact, I I think Pete hooked me up with this American prep stuff. So I used to kind of go through that and kind of get stuff together from that and just throw it together. I mean, literally was thrown together. But I did it, you know, I thought it was great. And I suppose I delivered it with such enthusiasm yeah. And when some when somebody delivers something with confidence and enthusiasm, it does become a bit infectious, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I I wasn't thinking about how I was going to get an audience, how big the audience was. I I just never it was never on my radio. I never thought about it. All I was thinking was, wow, I'm on the radio. This is great. That was it. Now, um, doing breakfast, you, you, you were you on your own to start? Yeah, yeah, just me. Um, and then there was a guy. Who was it? we used to have sort of people come in to do the travel, but they were live. They were actually in the radio station, so you know they they pop in every ten fifteen minutes. You had a news reader and a sports reader, so that was there was three other people that you could kind of hook in to bounce off. Generally, it was a case of me just delivering a gag and then and me saying laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, the usual stuff. But yeah, so it was just just me. So, because um, I didn't know this, I'm just reading further on. After you do the breakfast show alone, you then do do breakfast with Rachel New, and the sh- I didn't, I didn't know the show was called Fresh and New. Fresh and New, it I was. love it. I love yeah. it. Or was it? No, actually, no, it wasn't. It was called New and Freshman. Oh, was it? Yeah, and uh, I remember because that's GWR took over in. I think they bought the radio station about 1994. So I'd been there about four years then. But they had this autonomous agreement. So it was just left to run as it was for three, two or three years. And I think the end of 96, then GWR management came in. And that's when it, they kind of ran it for about six months, ready to relaunch it as the new Beacon FM. And obviously GWR's deal then in the 90s was you had to have a morning crew, the morning crew. And it had to be two people. It had to be a boy and a girl, and yeah, had to do yeah. Battle of the Sexes, and you know, yada yada yada. And Rachel was at Seven Sound in Gloucester in sales, um, but she was doing bits on air with the Seven Sound Morning Crew, and she really wanted to be on air. So they kind of brought her into Beacon and tried her out with me, and we hit it off really well. Um, and then I remember we had to go down to Bristol to meet with Dirk. Dirk Anthony, mate. Dirk Anthony, yeah. Dirk Anthony. And, oh, I can't remember the guys. It was the head of production at the time. I can't remember what his name was, but he was another Australian, which is no surprise because everybody in GWR was Australian. And we had, we had this meeting and lit, to literally discuss what the show was going to be called. And I was like, surely it can't be this difficult. And I think we were <laughs> discussing this for about an hour and a half. And yeah. I was like, is it, it's either going to be Fresh and Rachel, Rachel and Fresh, you know, Fresh and New. And they, so they're like, oh, Fresh and New, let's think about it. Fresh and New. Mm, yeah, not sure we like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, kill me now. Uh, and in the end, they decided on New and Freshman because they, I think they thought Fresh and New sounded a little bit too kind of uh, washing powdery or some kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. advertising tagline. 
And, they, so, and then they were like, to me, how do you feel about that, having, having you know, your name second? And I was like, well, I don't make a difference to me. Well, yeah. You know, we just want to go on and, and, and have fun. I'm just, I don't care whether my name's mentioned or not, really. But, so if you want to call it new and freshman, that, you know, fine. That's good, as long as I can get out of this meeting as well. It's a big <laughs> thumbs up from me. So, yeah, new and freshman. That's what it was called. So, I mean, as I say, I wasn't aware that you worked with Rachel New. So how many years did you do breakfast with Rachel? Uh, it was only a couple of years. GWR, I mean, and they, you know, they freely admitted they came into Beacon and they didn't really know what to do with it because it was a gargantuan station. It was the biggest station they owned at the time. And, it, you know, the Beacon in the black country had a lot of heritage. You know, it's, it was one of the first ILRs to start. It had a reputation which I wasn't aware of at the time, in the industry, it was, you know, it was, it was quite a gargantuan station. It was sounding a little bit tired in the 90s. Um, and GWR came in and they kind of relaunched it as the all-new Beacon FM and the music changed radically because I think at that point we were still playing Beatles stuff in the 60s. Really? Yeah, because everybody else had become like a hot FM. And, you know, so I used to listen to BR&B, which is BR&B Music Power, and you had Andy Hollins. Hollins has the hits in the morning and all that <laughs> massive production. And we, we had the kind of jingle package from WABC New York, which is like trumpets. And, and I was like, oh my God, I'm, what granddad station am I? And you listen to BR&B and had all this really big production. So um, it was a little bit in need of change, but they, they changed it so radically um, that it really... It's a shame that you wouldn't... I don't think you'd see this kind of uh, reaction from a radio audience anymore but there was people people picketed outside the radio station with placards really yeah we'd come in in the morning and there'd be curb stones had been thrown through the window and there was i think it was one morning like somebody'd kept a bottle of milk until it had gone rancid and then <laughs> lobbed that through the window so Jeez. that it stained in, into the carpet and all sorts and there was bomb threats against the programme director. People, somebody rang up and said they put a bomb under his car. Mate, it was... It was... It was it, I've never witnessed anything like it because they changed the radio station so dramatically overnight. Wow, blind. Yeah. So they were a little bit jittery after that, GWR, and then they kind of changed things on a whim. So, it, you know, they'd get a set of radio numbers and then they'd go, right, oh, it's not working change everything so we were only on breakfast i think together for a couple of years and then they put rachel on shropshire drive i think right and then i think they put me with somebody else um and again it, it and then i think eventually i came off breakfast oh did you yeah so about 99 i think i came off breakfast and they'd started um digital radio that uh, then as well gbr were you know one of the main sort of digital radio pioneers, and they started Planet Rock. Um, and I remember Dirk saying to me, mate, you'd be great on Planet Rock. Do you want to do Planet Rock? And I was like, yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> digital radio, this is all new and exciting. So I came off breakfast, and I think I went to drive, and I was doing Planet Rock breakfast at the time. And that I did that for about seven years, I think. I did a bit of program management at the at kind of in between times and then came back to breakfast in 2006. 
I, I do want to touch on the Planet Rock stuff, um, but then I do want to go back to the Beacon stuff because that is the you know, the majority of your of your career, which is just incredible the amount of time that you spent at one station. I think, I mean, most of us are quite jealous how you achieve. I mean, how do you think you managed to stay at Beacon for so long? And don't go for a radio jocks answer of well, I was just lucky or whatever. It, there must have been a reason. Um, I, fuck knows. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I obviously, I mean, clearly I was resonating with the audience and I was creating a name for, for myself, which I was, I think, I, which, but again, I was completely unaware, unaware of that because it wasn't that that I was chasing. I just loved being on the radio. For me, that's, that was where my thinking ended. But we started doing like prank phone calls. I mean, you know, who didn't in the 90s? I think, I think Pete Wagstaff had heard Steve Penk do them on Key 103. And he was like, oh, we should do, we should do for, uh, prank phone calls. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So, and I was quite good at doing accents and impressions so I could disguise my voice quite well. So we started Freshman's Phone Scam and that took off massively. And I used to get so many letters because <laughs> that was the way you communicated with the radio station back then. People had to write in. Mm. But I remember getting this really thick file of letters with all of this, all of these people nominating people for phone scams. So that obviously resonated quite well. And I was quite, I, I just, I suppose I wasn't your average radio presenter because like I say at the time it was hot FM and there was a lot of hot jocking and radio voices and I didn't do any of that I just went on the radio and blurted stuff out really so I was a bit left field I guess but obviously it must have you know must have resonated somewhere along the line because I kept I, I you know I didn't get fired oh actually no I did I I did get a little bit fired a little bit fired. A li- I did get. <laughs> I got a little bit fired. The, when GWR steamed in with their own management, the MD that they put in a beacon hated me. Absolutely hated me. The first thing. Why? Why, why did he hate you? Well, apparently, when the, on his first day he arrived and he walked into reception. I had a BMW at the time. I had a five series BMW, and he walked in and said to the receptionist, "Who's is the?" Uh, this is the BMW in the car park. And she went, oh, that's, that's Fresh's. And he went, Fresh? And she went, yeah, he's one of the presenters. He went, oh, right. Obviously a very successful presenter. And <laughs> from that moment, just clearly disliked me. Um, so we, we never saw right away. So I always thought he was gunning to find a reason to get rid of me. And there was, there was, there was, um, we used to have a, oh Christ, there used to be a, a traffic department in the radio station. So ad, ad traffic, not actually traffic reports. Yeah, you know, yeah. people who, who schedule all the ads. And we used to have a physical ad log paper because you used to have to get all your ads out on cart. And actually, no, I think we had a, we had a play out system by then. It was a really basic thing. It was called dams, which was terrible. But it would tell you the number of the carts you'd have to punch in. You'd have to load it all manually, every ad break. And I think GWR were introducing uh, this soulless ad spot out of each news bulletin because they were, I don't know whether that was some deal with Traffic Link or the AA or whatever it was at the time or whether they were hoping to sell it for a premium or what. But they kind of put it in as a spot holder to start with and they were just putting filler adverts in there. So I asked the question, um, why are we playing adverts we don't actually 
need to be played. If we haven't sold that spot yet, why are we adding extra inventory in? And they were like, oh, yes, that's a fairly good point, actually. We didn't think of that. We'll, I said, well, why don't we wait till we're getting the money in and then stick the ads in? If, if we're not getting paid to play ads, what, what's the point of playing them? Um, so they were like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah. But then didn't say don't play them. I just took it on myself to not play them. <laughs> so, and then and not, not only that, then I would go, <laughs> then I went through the rest of the ad log for the day, crossed them all out for everybody else's shows. <laughs> <laughs> to the So I remember getting um, collared in the car park by the manager director one day and he went, oh, conversation we need to have about the ad log. And I went, oh, yeah, I have had, a conversation with Dave about that. He went, yeah, yeah, but we haven't had this conversation, so let's have it now. Oh, and then, God. yeah, took me inside and they they basically fired me. So they said, um, I'm in breach contract. That's the end. Um, you know, you can leave right now uh, or you can go to, I think... I, I can't, I can't remember what show I was... I think I must have been doing breakfast at the time. So you can go to Drive and we're going to cut your show rate down. But, you know, hey, it's take it or leave it. You're either out of the door or you can go to afternoons quietly and graciously and take less money. And so because I didn't have anything else to do, I was like, oh, okay, then I'll just do that. So that's when I went to afternoons. So it was kind of a... I think I, think I was suspended for a week and then they came back and said, oh, yeah, you can have this deal. I mean, all that fresh because you were a BMW wanker. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, we mentioned Rachel New before doing Breakfast with Rachel, but I mean, I think the the, the show that, that everybody remembers you for, of course, is with Joe, Fresh and Joe. That was the... Yes. That's, I mean, if you talk to anybody about Beacon, the first thing they'll say is Fresh and Joe. I mean, how she, she was a character, wasn't she, Joe? Joe, she is a character. She is just, she is just, a, she's, she's gold. She is absolute gold for anybody in radio because she is just a walking bank of content. She has the most calamitous life on a daily basis. And I could, I still to this day, because I'm, you know, still really good friends with Joe. And I, I saw her not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was around her house. And she still has all of these stories about things that have happened to her every single day i mean just being with her is tiring because just just so much content so i mean she was great to work with because she would just go oh fresher uh, you not believe what happened to me and i'll go save it for 10 past eight <laughs> and, right so i would just say so she would have all of this stuff so then i'd just say she would just she would do the planner so she i'd say right just write it all in the planner and and then leave it with me and then all I had to do was li literally light the blue touch paper, sit back uh, and watch the after effects. So I, I play, I was just like, a, it was like conducting an orchestra. So all I had to do was kind of weave in, get, this, get Joe to tell the story, you know, kind of dive in a little bit, you know, maybe pull a little bit of information out, you know, turn to the audience. They would always react. They, God, the amount of phone calls she would propagate the phones just lit up every time she talked about anything and we we had so many callers it was absolutely mind-blowing but again we just we were just having a great time on air every day and we weren't thinking about you know how big 
that show was becoming or how big it was. We just went in and had a laugh every single day. Um, but she is just, just incredible. I mean, her background is drama. She, she oh, did like, yeah, she did like drama workshops and all sorts. And she lived in London for a while. So she's great at storytelling, a brilliant performer. And the thing is, the other thing that was great about Jo is she understood radio. So, I mean, she, she, she's worked in theatre, so she understands how to tell a story to an audience and how to captivate them. But she didn't give a shit about radio formatics or anything like that. She just didn't, didn't care about radio. She's like, oh, Freshie, you just deal with all that. She, would, she just wanted to come in and chat and, you know, tell stories and have a laugh. And, you know, she, the audience, because we used to go out and meet people all the time, people gravitated to her and they would tell her any, everything. And the first thing she would do whenever she met, good God, we couldn't do this now. But whenever we went anywhere, the first thing she'd say, to, for instance, she, we meet some people, you know, she'd go to a woman, oh, your tits are great. Are they real? <laughs> and just grab them. And I would, I'd be like, Joe, I, you know, and I, have to, I, don't, I felt like I had to apologise. It felt like I had to, con- just, I was just there to be her carer and apologise for the <laughs> aftermath that she would leave behind. And she, you know, she'd grab guys by the cock and, oh, my God. We, I remember we went to this metal fabricators once and there was an anvil in there and she just got her she just got her baps out and put them either side of the <laughs> anvil and was like oh fresh take a picture <laughs> but she was just great oh, she's just great fun she is absolutely hysterical and i can't believe I, I mean i can't believe how much goes wrong in her life do you know i was i was very fortunate in my career to work with people some real friends so initially with Tom and then I went on to work with Giuliano you know real friends and and then I went went to Signal and worked with a, with a girl called Emma who was fantastic as well but just the importance of actually having a friendship with your co-host is for me is paramount if you want to make a breakfast show successful because I mean I know I've known of breakfast shows where they hate each other you know we've, yeah. had, we've had previous guests where they say yeah we it was a bit cold when the mics were down, you know. But, but it sounds to me that you, you, you and Joe, you really had that that oh, real friendship. Totally, absolutely. I mean, Joe was with uh, Mark Jeeves before, and I know Mark won't mind me talking about this, but those two didn't get on. So they would be on air together, and then at ten o'clock they would separate, and they would, you know, they wouldn't socialise. They, would, you know, there's very little communication between the two of them, uh, and that's how they worked. But they had a very they were like poles apart. Mark is very um, hello there. Yes, I'm very straight laced, and Joe's a she's a she's full of debauchery, um, <laughs> and you know it was that that chemistry worked, but they just didn't get on personally. But I think when you have when you have chemistry and you become great friends with people, it's not it's not it's not a job then, is it? You're just literally hanging out with your mates. And, yeah. you know, people are just listening in to what's going on. And, you know, if you're lucky, they, they want to be involved in it. And that's, I mean, it, that's why Friends, the TV show, was so successful. It's not, I mean, if you look at it, some of the writing is pretty shit. But <laughs> what carried that show is the chemistry between the cast. You know, I watch some of the early episodes of Friends back now, and, you know, the writing is not that strong, and some of the acting isn't that strong. It's only when you get a few seasons in and they've all kind of bonded and whatever that that show took on a life of its own. And you can't... It's the same with um, Clarkson, Hammond and May. You can't replicate that chemistry. I mean, look at Top Gear, they tried, because when, when they left, there was 
Chris Evans, Matt LeBlanc, Rory Reid, Chris Harris came in, Freddie Flintoff, Paddy. They've tried to... You cannot manufacture chemistry. It's either there or it isn't. They are, you either become great friends with somebody or you don't. It's not something... I mean, GWR, when Friends was becoming really popular, GWR tried to do that. They wanted to hire... They wanted, Sorry, no, they didn't. They, they started to cast the morning show. And they had these specific roles based on how Friends was. So I think one was an innocent fool, one was a smart guy, smart Alec. So then they would try to define... So then, Because I remember me and Rachel had this workshop with them. And then they were like, okay, so uh, Rachel, who do you think you are? Do you, are, you the, are you the smart Alec or the smart guy? And we were look, looking at each other. We're like, well, we're just, we're just us. We are who we are. We're not... It, it's, you can't suddenly pigeonhole us into something. You know, you can't manufacture. You cannot take friends, for instance, and then try and remanufacture it. It won't work unless you find a bunch of people who have genuine chemistry. Counts for so much. So we've talked a lot, um, Fresh, about, you know, people mention you and Joe and, and, and your breakfast show just being incredible. I do want to talk about... I was talking to a mate of mine who... I won't mention his name on here, but he was your biggest fan. Um... And he is Mr. Beacon. And he, he was talking to me about the time that you gave Christmas early to a terminally ill kid. Do you oh. remember that? Yeah, well, it wasn't a kid, it was a woman. Right, tell me more. Uh, yeah, her name was Yvette. Um, and we had an email, I think, from her sister. And it was literally, I think we came into it one morning. And... You know, Joe, we just said, well, we need to do something with this. So Joe read it out on air. We hadn't planned anything. We didn't, you know, you know, usually in radio, if you want something, if you want to, if you want something to go somewhere, you kind of, you do some pre-planning, you might have a couple of things staged just to get things, to get the momentum. And then it kind of grows by itself. This, we didn't do any of that. We just literally read the email on air. Joe was in floods of tears. And then the the phone lines went mad, so we, I think it was this was I think it was probably a, a end of November I think, and this email was basically saying that this poor woman had got uh, terminal cancer and it didn't look like she was going to make it till Christmas, and she had like young kids, you know, and I think she was like is there any way we could do something just to kind of give the kids a little bit of an early, or give them, give the family a, a bit of a Christmas before Christmas. Yeah. So we read the email out and then it just went ballistic. We had like Asda ringing up going, we're going to give you, you know, a hamper of stuff. The Lions Club were like, right, we're going to send our sleigh there. We had people saying, well, I've got a snow machine. I've got, you know, uh, I've got, we, oh, we had some, uh, like a choir. They rang in and said, we'll, we'll come and do some Christmas caroling. We had companies ringing up, pledging cash. We had people ringing up going, we're going to give presents. We want to donate presents for the kids. Oh, it just, honestly, it was, it was mind-blowing. Um, and then we managed to get all this I can't even remember. It was such a whirlwind and totally unexpected. I, I can't even remember how we managed to kind of pull it all together. But we literally got all of this stuff together, went round to the house, 
And we had this snow machine there, and the lions turned up with Santa on his sleigh, and there was carolers, and there's all of these people turned up, like well-wishers, just to rally round and just give the kids and the family, a, you know, that kind of Christmas together. It, I think this is like early December, and it was just, just overwhelming, the response and the way people rallied round. And, and I think that's what makes radio so special. You cannot get that from a streaming service. And you don't get that from, you know, podcasts because they're not live. Radio has still got that place in people's lives because it can have that kind of immediacy and just, you know, it's just that connection people have with the radio is just, it, there's nothing else that can take that place. It, and, and, you know, that's what, that's what happened on that occasion. It just blew up. It was, it was absolutely just mesmerising. Well, there's um, stuff called the commission. Testing, testing, testing. Testing. The dealer does a lot of work. Cold, in order to... Well, I'm all for being open-minded, but I'm not all for discussing this live on air. Thank you. We are profoundly uh, sorry. Oh, yeah previous guests that I would say are, I'm going to talk about Elliot Webb again in, in my opinion because I was you know I don't really remember Les Ross I, I would um, call um, Elliot Mr. BRMB um, with yourself I would certainly say you are Mr. Beacon and you know if again we, we, the breakfast show people would always talk about and they would always mention you I just wanted to talk about would you say that, because coming from up north, then moving down south and then coming to the Midlands, I wasn't really across what Beacon was about. It, would you say it was quite a unique radio station? Uh, yeah, because like I say, the, it was really anchored in its market. You know, it was really fondly thought of, you know, and it, they, it just had this massive loyal following. It was, you know, the, the audience, like I say, they they bolted onto it and they were really protective of it. It was kind of a living, breathing thing. It wasn't just a radio station. It was, it was, it was part of the fabric of the area. It was, you know, and it, it was, it was different to all the other stations. It, it didn't follow that sort of hot FM Johnny Jock thing, which everybody else went down in the nineties. They just, I mean, yeah, it sounded a bit old hat, but it still worked. Um, it needed a bit of tweaking, and then it had a it had a revolution. What it needed was an evolution. Um, but yeah, it it was a, a unique radio station. But again, I don't know. I don't know whether that was just an accidental thing or or what it was. But it just had seemed to have this sort of magical formula in terms of its connection with the market and its listeners. It was pretty incredible. It's interesting as well because in two thousand and one, you become the station manager of Beacon. Uh, yeah, well, they had two services. They had the West Midlands and they had Shropshire. And I got to run the Shropshire service. So I was on air on West Mids and then took over the running of the Shropshire service. And I think, this is because I think at the time, you know, GWR had tried all sorts and it wasn't going their way particularly well because they they just didn't know what to do. I think they were, they were in panic mode by this point because they kept sort of wavering. And so they wanted to focus on the big money transmitter, which was the West Midlands one, 97.2. And so I remember them saying to me, do you want to look after Shropshire? You can do whatever you want, but you won't have a budget. And I was like, great. <laughs> and for me, you know, it, it's like, okay, well, so I've got, to, I've got to come up with a solution. So problem solving, I love. 
and again, I think that's something that's, that goes, uh, I think that's when you've got a brain that's, you know, that's uh, got ADHD, coming up with ideas isn't difficult. You're constantly like, hey, we could do this, what about that? And if you've got a problem, then you can like think of a billion ways to try and solve it. So I used to work with sales a lot and we'd get sold contests and stuff like that. So it was great fun and I worked really closely with all the guys on air. And that was really, I, I loved kind of, coaching and just developing the talent as well uh, it was that was really good fun uh, and I think I did that for about five years and I think I was doing Planet Rock at the same time as well yeah sorry I've completely skipped over Planet Rock and we will get to that in just a bit but you, you're right you did you were station manager uh, between 2001 2006 you won Sony station of the year whilst you're in I mean that's that was incredible yeah I, I don't ever think really it, that station never got the recognition it should have into at the Sony's I always think I always felt like it was a bit it was a bit looked down on a little bit sneered at and I think that's because uh yeah it, it kind of wasn't it, it booked the trend it wasn't fashion it wasn't a fashionable radio station I think so I mean because you know when I was on breakfast with Joe we would put we would always be putting kind of stuff in for the Sonys. And sometimes we'd get nominated, but we ne- never got a win. And I think that Station of the Year thing, um, I can't remember. I can't remember how that just came about. It just came about one year, but I, I was, <laughs> it was a bit of a, like a, it was like a, one of the like school sports day. <laughs> Give it to the small Shropshire station. Bless them. Still a hell of an achievement, though. Still a hell of an achievement. And then I've talked to you know many guests who who've gone into management at some point in their career, and I would say that a majority of them didn't enjoy it. And and the reason I think is because you do have to sack people if you're in management. I mean, did you find that side of 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 radio difficult? Um, I loved hiring because. You wanna, you kind, you know, you get to listen to people, and you kind of get to think about how they're going to sound on your radio station, and you know, trying people out with other people, and you know that that kind of whole casting part is great fun. But then, obviously, you know, with radio talent comes, you know, radio egos at times. No. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and like I say, I I, I think. And that's probably because, maybe that's because of ADHD. I don't. I just didn't. I probably didn't respond very well to people who had too much of an ego. Uh, so I probably didn't. I, I only had to let one person go, or I think they may have decided to depart. You know, when they've oh, when you send that email around, such and such has decided to pursue other projects with immediate effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a, I think that only happened once. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I wanted them to go, but I didn't actually physically have to say, look, you're going. They just decided to go. During that time, there was a, a very difficult situation, I guess, because, and all people in radio will will know of this, the, the, the Soham incident. Can you just, can, can, can you just run us through that? Oh, I, every time I sit in compliance training now, they always play. <laughs> oh, do they? Play, they play the audio and I'm like, can I... Can I just go? Thanks. I've heard this enough. Um, but I had only just started managing that radio station. So literally, I, I kind of I don't know whether it was the first day of me kind of taking over or it was certainly in the very early stages. And I can remember I was just coming out of my house ready to go to work. So it was about half seven in the morning, I think. And I got a call. 
on my mobile and it was the guy on air who was going, oh, mate, we've just done this link and the news guy's having a right go at us. Can you, could you have a word? Because he just won't back, back off. And I'm like, well, what, what have you said? Because I, I hadn't heard it. And he kind of relayed it and I was like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, um, you do know why he's, he's having a go at you. Oh, and he's God. like, uh, what? So I, I was just like, okay, look, just don't, just don't say any more. Um, I'm on my way in. And my boss, who was the PC or PD of the West Mid side, obviously rang me and he was like beside himself. Uh, and I think he was already at the radio station in Wolverhampton. So I think he pulled them off and there was just, and then they just played music. So the show just went to music, I think. Um, and then I think from that morning, we, they had, I, I, I don't think I, actually, I don't think I dealt with that. I think it was then dealt with by upper management. They kind of took it over and did everything official. They suspended them, I think, from that day. And then it, they were, obviously went into damage limitation and they had to deal with the attorney general and uh, all sorts. It was a horrendous period. But that, I, I didn't get involved in that. So... And it was probably a good job because I wouldn't have known how to deal with any of that. Because, oh, no, yeah. like I say, it was, it was, you know, I hadn't been at it long. Um, so that all got sort of taken out of my hands. And in the end, they ended up, I think they, they, had, to, they had to fire them. And that was part of appeasing the Attorney General's office. So that, that, there was a back and forth of them negotiating. Because obviously they, they were at risk of, you know, losing the license and also it was, you know, heavy, heavy consequences. Um, so they had to be seen to be taking a firm stance, had to fire them, they had to go. And I think I, I actually, had, I went on breakfast for a bit then in Shropshire. <laughs> so I, I had to go in to, do, to cover Shropshire breakfast while we were thinking, what the hell are we going to do next? And then we had to hire, look for an, a new morning show. But I think I did breakfast for about three or four months um, because obviously they, they'd just gone suddenly. I love the fact that you sit in compliance training and that pops and, up. And hear that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean... See, there wasn't there wasn't any compliance training or anything like that. It's only come up. It's, it, things things only happen when things go wrong, mm. and there was no routine compliance training. And this is absolutely no defence whatsoever. Um, but it, it had happened during the shipment trial as well because there was this, you know station yeah, yeah. up in Preston, you know, where they uh, said something about that, and we weren't briefed. We weren't. Nobody went through this with you. And I think at the time, GBR were working with um, an American consultant and he had this, I think it was called Authentic Radio Personality, TM. And basically it was like, hey, be yourself. Things that interest you, talk about them on the radio. If you have a reaction to something, talk about it on the radio. So they were being told, be authentic and things that you react to, communicate those to your audience. But there was... You know, and common sense has to come into that, I know. But but there was no, hey, guys, but let's go over compliance training or remember, we can't do X, Y, Z. And uh, he, he was from Cambridge as well. So he had a massive reaction to what he'd seen on Sky News and stupidly went on air and talked about it during the trial. It was a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. Now, before we get on to the, the moment that Orion turn up and, and take over Beacon, I just want to go back to Planet Rock. So, you know, during your time at, at Beacon, you, you, you do the breakfast show for, for Planet Rock. It, was that, that 
was that live? Because obviously you'd be, you said you moved to afternoons, but did you do breakfast live? No, it was all voice tracked, and this was all new back then. So it was, it was called internet voice tracking at the time. So it was, I think it, I think it ran off master control, and so they installed this PC at Beacon, and then you had to connect via dial-up, I think. So you had all that while you're trying to connect to Bristol, where everything was. Um, and you could then, you'd get like this sort of remote screen, which is kind of a shrunk version of master control. And then you'd just be able to record your links. But it was quite clunky because it was, the internet was so slow back then. But everything, the whole thing was voice track. There wasn't any live programming from day one. If it, the only time Planet Rock went live was when it came out of GWR's ownership. And that guy bought it for a quid or whatever he paid for it. And then he put live shows on it. Is it true that you used to you used to voice track it very close to the actual TX though? So I can't remember what the I can't remember what hours it ran now, but I would record the first hour or so of links the previous day, and then come in uh, just so it could be topical because I didn't want it to in case something happened overnight. I, I didn't want breakfast sound out of date and it, or or too generic, so I would just come in and then drop the rest of the morning's links through. Um, or I would record the show, the entire show the day before, and then if I'd got anything like topical and whatever that I thought I could overwrite some links with, I'd drop like sporadic links in like that. So let's move back to Beacon, the time that um, Orion Media come in. Um, you know, I, I don't keep it a secret. I thought Orion, my time at Orion Media was fantastic. You know, it was just probably the highlight of my career working on BRMB, a station I never dreamt of even visiting, let alone presenting on. But your your opinion of Orion Media? Hmm. Do, do I have to give that? one? Do I, do, do, I, do I need to give one? Should I give one? I, I, don't think, I don't think you ever kept a secret that you, perhaps you weren't overly keen. But I mean, to be fair, you well, know... I'll, well, you you tell me then. You tell me because obviously you've heard things. So you you tell me what you've heard, and I'll, I'll confirm or deny. I heard fresh that perhaps you didn't see eye to eye with one of the senior managers. <laughs> True or false? I, I don't know who you're talking about. I got on so well with everybody. Um, that is possibly true. Yes. And is that because of Orion, or was that? because of a previous uh, working relationship? Um, I just felt that he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I sensed in, in team meetings where all the Orion Breakfast shows got together, I don't think you kept that as a secret. Didn't I? I don't think so, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> I probably wasn't aware of how I was coming across at the time. But, I, you know, I, I, I don't think they did a good job. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'm unjust in saying that because look what happened to the, the ratings. Actually, let me just think back to the to the many episodes. Nope, I've never felt so awkward talking about something. <laughs> <with anyone. laughs> well, I'm, I can't believe you. I mean, I know, I suppose, yeah, 
because you got to go and be on BRMB, I, I, can, I understand that. But surely you didn't think at the time what was going on there was great. Um, I think I perhaps see it through different eyes because, A, as I just said, I never, and I genuinely mean this, I, I never thought I'd get on a station like BRMB. And I never, ever thought I'd get the breakfast show. And for, for, for all that to happen, you know, in the course of a year, for myself and Giuliano, yeah, for me, it was amazing. So did that, did that taint or blinker your view of what was going on in terms of the direction from the management? Can, can I be honest? Yeah, please do. I thought what we were doing on BRMB was great. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, you know, I had an amazing group of people around me. Um, um, yeah, I, 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 do you know what? I'm, funny enough, we, we, we had Joe Russell on, who, who went through the same experiences that I did, going, you know, into Orion Media and BR&B, and a lot of people, you know, maybe moved on at the time. But I, I said to Joe, and I'll say to you, do you know what? I'm not going to lie anymore. I really did enjoy my experience of Orion. So I, I can't lie to you. I mean, it, it was obviously very different for you because you were, you were Mr. Beacon, and you you'd probably say shake your head at that, but you were. I mean, if you mention Beacon, people mention you. So for a group to come in and then change things dramatically, which they did, that probably did piss you off a little bit. Um, yeah, but like I say, GWR made a bigger hash of it in 1997, but the one thing they did do was hold their hands up and go, do you know what? I think we fucked this up a bit. And, you know, didn't pretend that, that everything they were doing was the right thing and a great idea. Um, and that, I just, I just get, I, it pisses me off when you've got smoke and mirrors and people aren't being honest. And we could all see what was happening with, you know, collectively, the the performance of all of the radio stations in that group. So let me, I, I mean, I don't remember you leaving Beacon, if I'm honest. I, I, I remember people taking over that breakfast show from you. So how did that happen? Did your contract run out or did did you just mutually agree to to go on to Pastors New? Um, yeah, I wanted to get out. It, it, there was, there, it was a toxic environment for me. It was... It, the, it, you know, there's no fun there anymore. When someone's coming to you every day with an iPad full of notes about everything they hated, about every single link, there's no joy. You know, and I think in one of those sessions, it got down to the, oh, I don't like the way you said oomph on the date. So for me, it was like, shoot me now. And I, 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 I was frank and honest, and I was like, to me, it sounds like I'm not the right person for your breakfast show. So why don't we just cut the shit and I'll go? And then it'd be like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Well, and like, you know, for me, it's like, well, that is what you're saying, isn't it? Because you've just told me everything I've said you hate. And I can't work in an environment like that. You know, radio is supposed to be fun and entertaining. If we're not having fun, the audience aren't going to be having fun. And I just don't want to work in that kind of environment. So I wanted to get the hell out of there. And so, um, yeah, I just said, look, I want, I want, I'm, that's it. I want to just get out. I don't want to renew my contract. I want to go. I just want to talk about, and I, 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 I ask the same question to everybody that spends 
the length of time that you did at a radio station. How did it feel when you eventually walked out of Beacon for that final time? Um, it felt great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I was at that point, I was, you know, ecstatic to be going. All right, well, let's talk about Smooth, because, of course, 2014, you go to, to Smooth. Um, I mean, they brought back local breakfast shows just because of you. It was just down well, to you, wasn't don't, it? Don't think it was down to me. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just gone along with that then, mate. Oh, right. got yes, with that. that's right. They, they, they were so desperate to sign me that they created a space for me. That's I mean, exactly what happened. Are you, are, you, are you still enjoying your time on Smooth? I know you've got to say yes, because you're still there. Radio is really different now. Very different um, but it, for me, it's still great fun. I've still got exactly the same attitude. I still stand in the studio every day. And, you know, we're all, we're all big anoraks. When you, when you hit the start button and a jingle plays and then you fire off a song, it's still exciting. Still that nine-year-old me going, oh, my God, I just played a jingle and a song. So, you know, I still go in and I still think, God, I cannot believe I get to do this every day. This is, this is what I do for a living so that joy is still there um it's just it's just radio is just it's infectious for me i I just love being on the radio i can't there's just something about it it's 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 like a drug it's just i can't give it up this february it'll be coming up to a decade on smooth i know can you believe i mean can you believe that amount of time has gone past no i can't (laughs) it's unbelievable 10 years i thought because i mean i thought i mean i i'm you know and i said to the guys at the time i, I feel like a bit of a fish out of water on smooth because you know it was it was a it, they when i went there it was um a genre they wanted a kind of a mood no it was a mood based station so they want for this kind of relaxing sound and i'd just come from what would become free which is sort of well, hot AC, mm-hmm. and we were, you know, I was with um, Cat James at the time, so it yeah. was lots of content, and it was, you know, you know, personality and daft stuff, stunts, all sorts of things, to this kind of, you know, soft AC format. And I said, I, you know, I stick out like a sore thumb. I haven't got that kind of mm, smooth and here's a great song from the Carpenters. That's, <laughs> you know, I don't, I didn't have that, and I. I and so I just like, I just, I feel, you know, I feel like a fish out of water. So I thought, oh, this isn't going to last very long. They're going to listen, you know, after the, my first year, they're going to go, so thanks. Anyway, um, we're going to go in a different direction. But, um, you know, the Ray Jars, you know, it kind of came out of nowhere smooth. And then suddenly it just shot up. And, you know, now it's up there. In fact, you know, it's beating heart at breakfast. Um quite consistently well fresh um thank you so much for being on crunch and roll have have you have you enjoyed yourself it's been like therapy everyone says that. been like therapy everyone says Um, that. yeah i don't know how you're going to find anything of interest i mean i go back i circle back to what i said at the start i don't know how you're going to find anything of interest in there or and certainly anything that um your mate pete thinks is slanderous take that out (laughs) do us it's gary do us a favor john will you do us a favor john (laughs) Don't <laughs> take anything dodgy out. I'm trusting you on that. I um, I've really, 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 and I genuinely mean it. I've really enjoyed chatting to you for the last hour. So, um, thank you so much. Um, I, 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 I don't know if you're just playing the part, but you have a very engaging character. So, um, thank you. 
Well, oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. What a beautiful bonding session this is. You're still bonding. You're still, bonding, you're still sarky as fuck. But I mean, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, hey, <laughs> <laughs> always have been, always will be. Even the even at the most inappropriate times. Do you know? And I think I'm I'm gonna. I know what the answer is going to be. But I always ask the guests, who would you like to hear on Crunch and Roll? Who deserves their own episode? Oh my god! You should definitely try and get Joe on because that would be that was the answer hilarious. I thought you were going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because and I'll, also I'd like to do what Simon does, and that's just sit in the background and watch what happens when you and Joe hook up because I, I want to see your, the scared look on your face. Well, do you know what? <laughs> what? One of the dreams of Crunch and Roll is to start bringing teams back together that once worked. Oh, that'd be great fun. Yeah, that'd be great fun so, to do. You know, as long as there's no anvil involved, then I'm more than happy to get you and Joe back together. Well, here's the thing. Um, I've been talking to Joe because Joe left in 2011. Wow. So we stopped working together in 2011. From that moment on, I said, well, let's do a podcast. I mean, and so, I mean, 12 years ago, podcasts were still in their infancy. But even then, I remember at the time, we were doing one of those kind of best bits. Everybody was doing a best bits podcast. So you just cobble together some of the stuff you'd done that week on the radio, throw it together. And we said to the management, we don't want to do that. We want to do an original podcast. So we want to do like uncut, un, unheard, you know, like an extra show. Yeah. So, you know, and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Just, just do best bits. So we never got around to doing like a, a bespoke podcast. So I said to her when she left, let's do a podcast show. And she's like, oh, Fresh, that would be great fun. But she's so difficult to pin down. 12 years down the line... I'm still saying to her, Joe, we should do a podcast. But uh, do you know what her reply to me is? Oh, who's going to listen to that? No one cares about what I've got to say. (laughs) We're all the same. We we managed to be quite successful on the radio, amazingly. So people must be quite interested. I love it. I love it. Well, we should road test that idea on Crunch and Roll before someone else nicks the idea. Um, Fresh, thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Nigel Freshman. You can subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Bosowski? Borowski? Bosowski? Oh, yeah. Also, do I have to say Nigel Freshman? No, you don't. Do you know that's not actually my real name? What? Yeah. Unlike many people... I actually changed my name to be the on-air name. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I did it by deed poll. Oh, years, years ago, about 20-odd years ago now. So hang but on, yeah. so, so I'm completely confused. You are called Nigel. So, yeah, actually, I, I, don't know, I don't know why I didn't change the Nigel bit, to be fair. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, Fresh. That was the first thing I thought. Yeah, I've never liked that name ever since I was a kid. And I've, I always told my parents, I still tell my mom to this day, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? She was like, oh, it was, you know, everybody was calling their kids uh, John and, yeah. uh, you know, Michael. And I was like, yeah, either of those would have been fine. Thanks. <laughs> You're like, oh, we wanted something different. I was like, yeah, great. I didn't. <laughs>